You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Amazing. Thanks, Bex. I got my own mic here. You guys doing well? How good? I love the confused look on so many young people's faces when you said Tupperware party. I looked across and they were shocked. Young people, that's the thing your mum puts your lunch in. All right, that's what that is. So good to be at the Botany campus. Um, it's always a party here at the 5 p.m. And last time I was here and the five times before that, it was just me and a camera and five people that weren't allowed to make any noise. So it's so good to have the room filled with people, filled with life. And there's so many different faces as I look around the room, which is phenomenal. Um, you're probably here, you've been here longer than I've been here, at least today. So welcome. Um, it's so good to have you with us. I love that church is a place where everyone's welcome, where you can come and you can belong despite what you believe, unless you're an absolute tyrant and then we might ask you to leave. But as long as you're uh, cooperative, you can come and be part of our family. It's so good to have you here. I'm, I'm sorry, Bex, every time I come to the 5 p.m. I get in a troublemaking mood, so just <laughs> shut up, Frosty. Okay. We're good. I'm going to preach a message today, and I cannot wait to share it. I shared it this morning with our Papakura family, and um, there weren't many amens, so I'm believing for more today. Um, it's a message called, correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> Sounds like fun, right? <laughs> Mainland cheese claims that good things take time. Have you heard that before? That's assuming that over time the cheese gets better. Now that is true about cheese, it's true about wine, it should be true about people, but have you ever noticed that some things don't improve with time at all, in fact they only get worse? One of the greatest culprits of this is the infamous McDonald's McFlurry. <laughs> now, I've been around long enough to remember when the McFlurry came out, most of you probably don't, but I remember that and I'm telling you, it was a glorious phenomenon and a real treat. The cashier would grab the cup, fill it with ice cream, make your way over to the big McFlurry machine, and placing the cup on the shelf, she'd look over you and say, what flavor would you like? You'd pick the mini M&Ms or the flake, or if you knew Jesus, you'd pick Oreo, because that was obviously the best one. With a slow pull of the lever, your topping of choice would come tumbling over the ice cream before the whole thing was subjected to the big, spinny, swirly plastic thing so that it was all mixed together. It was like there was magic in every bite. There was no one bite that was just ice cream, no one bite that was just topping, but together it was a divine experience the whole way through. Does anyone remember that? Well, the last time I had a McFlurry, I was disappointed to say the least. In fact, I was gutted. All it was was plain soft serve ice cream in a cup with a little bit of a smidgen of something, something on top, not even mixed in. Ridiculous. And the nerve of them to charge $5.40. <laughs> I did some research for this message and had to go through the drive through just to see. $5.40 for a McFlurry. It's literally just plain ice cream and something on top. It was ridiculous. I remember thinking, what happened to you, McFlurry? The old McFlurry would have, wouldn't have done me like that. The old McFlurry knew better. The old McFlurry not only hit a spot, but created a spot I didn't know needed hitting, and then hit it. And now after all this time, you would think that McDonald's would be a switched on company, and after all this time, it would have gotten better, but it's only gotten worse. The, the, new, the new McFlurry just isn't the same as the old one. And I know it's a little different, but Paul in the Bible, he has an experience kind of like this, but no McFlurries fortunately for him. He had this experience with Christians. Christians. Real life Christians. I want us to read a passage of scripture. It's a little long today. I want us to set up camp here, and I promise the rest of my 400 scriptures will be way shorter. Okay, Galatians chapter 4, verse 8 to 16. If you can follow along, um, you, you're going to be in good stead for the rest of the message. Here we go. Before you Gentiles knew God, 
these uh, Gentiles are just not Jews, right? Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. I love how straightforward he is. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You were trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things, for I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news, it's the gospel of Jesus. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me and turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I was an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit that you felt then? I am sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if possible. Weird. Then he says, have I now become your enemy simply because I'm sharing with you the truth? The book of Galatians was a book written to a bunch of churches in Galatia where Paul went on a missionary journey. So he's writing to believers. And here's the backstory real quick. Christianity became, began as a Jewish messianic movement in Jerusalem, but the message was for the whole world. And so it spread really quickly. By the time Paul gets there on his missionary journey, there are just as many Jews as there are non-Jews, Jews and Gentiles, as part of Christ, uh, the Christian family. Now, historically, the covenant people of God were focused in on one um, group of people, which were the Israelites. And those people were subjected and bound by and governed by the laws of the Torah, right? The Torah is just a fancy word for the first five books of the Bible. All those restrictions, all those laws, all 613 or something of them, they all came under those. And these Jewish Christians felt like in order for the non-Jewish people to truly become part of God's family, they should follow all the rules of the Torah as well. And so some of these Jewish Christians were going around all the non-Jewish churches, undermining what Paul was saying, demanding that the males be circumcised as adults. Now, some of them were, and when Paul found out that this was happening, not only was he brokenhearted, but he was angry. And this letter, the book of Galatians that we read, is the letter that came as a result of that. Now, he's frustrated because there was a time when these non-Jewish Christians would actually listen to his teaching. They would invite his correction. They had an understanding that sometimes a level of rebuke was necessary. These Jewish Christians that were all tied up in the law were saying one thing, but Paul had made great ground with the non-Jewish Christians in helping them understand what God's heart was for them and the church. Paul is amazed that these Christians that have actually experienced true freedom in Christ have fallen into not, not a new bondage, but an old one. They've gone back to their ways and he's gutted about it. They're placing their focus on what they can do for God rather than what God has already done for them on the cross. And these are the very things that Paul is preaching against and bringing correction towards. He's crying out, basically saying, what's the point? of this gospel of Jesus, if it doesn't result in us living a life of freedom under God's grace as sons and daughters instead of, of slaves. And so he's worried, after all this progress I've made for you, was it all in vain? Was it all useless? In other words, he's thinking, man, you Galatians, you used to be on the right track. You used to be open to my correction, and now what happened to you? You've changed. Now you're hostile towards me, and it seems like it's not me you have an issue with, but it's the truth that you're avoiding. I remember when I first became a Christian, it was about 13 years ago at Encounter Camp, and this is, was, is my home campus, this is my home church before we went out to plant Papakura. Um, and I remember um, 
getting saved, and it was completely against the grain of my friend group, completely against the grain of culture. In fact, it was really inconvenient to the life I was living, but the power of God is something that changes your life, and when he knocks on the door of your heart, none of that stuff matters. I couldn't wait to be in church every single Sunday. I was here with my D12 jacket on. I was at (laughs) gangster rap group, don't worry. I was here at Oxygen Youth every single Friday as a leader. I did the junior leadership program that Pastor Steve, when he was the youth pastor, he ran that with a whole bunch of other misfit kids um, and leaders. It was amazing. I was hungry for the word. I desired to learn, and I was deeply committed to letting God transform parts of my life. It's that passion that comes with the first love moment. When you're impacted by the love and the grace of God, it's this natural response where you just say, God, search me reveal things to me, transform me from the inside out. I'll tell you what, as I reflect on that, I realized I was so thankful for teaching, correction, and guidance. And as Paul is speaking to these non-Jewish Christians, and he's wondering what happened to them, because they used to be like that as well. He's reminding them that when he first preached to them, they welcomed it, they respected it, and had a good attitude towards it. But now he says, where is that joyful and grateful spirit that you once felt then? Where is your openness gone? Where is your teachability gone? Where is your humility gone? Why are you all closed off now? And the problem is that these believers, they took their eyes off God and became fixated on themselves. We can, we can judge them. We can say, how could they? But this can easily happen to us as well. They became more focused on observing the law and seeming religious and righteous among each other instead of looking to the finished work of the cross and allowing Jesus to transform us from the inside out. They thought their own ways could make them right with God. And we know in Proverbs 14, 12, it says, There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. These believers came more interested in being directed by man than corrected by God, and it led them back into bondage. And so he says, Am I now your enemy simply because I'm sharing the truth? He's like, Is it me you've got a problem with? Or is it really just the truth you're rejecting? And I guess my question tonight um, for us to ponder is have we along the way somehow accidentally become like the Galatians? Have you lost your hunger for the word, your desire to grow, your willingness to learn and be taught? Where is that joyful and grateful spirit that we once had in response to correction and teaching? Because our response, our attitude, our openness to correction is a key component to our growth, our spiritual maturity, and ultimately the freedom that we experience in Christ. But this is what I see far too often. I see an immediate response of defensiveness, usually coupled with, don't judge me. Like anyone sees anything against us in any way whatsoever other than complete support of everything we've ever decided to do, it's don't judge me, or only God can judge me. And we so quickly confuse good godly correction with uninvited judgment. You're right, only God can judge you. But we shouldn't be so carefree about that statement. In fact, the Bible says that it's the fear of God that is the start of all wisdom. But listen, far more important than any doctrinal technicality on who gets to judge and what that means, it's that attitude of defensiveness that speaks volumes about our attitude towards growing and development. An attitude I bet we didn't have when we first encountered the saving grace of God. And so could we get our grateful and joyful spirit back again? Could we rewind to that place? Could we humble ourselves before God again tonight? Because when we allow ourselves to be corrected, what happens is we get the benefit of improvements that you and I might not see ourselves. It's called blind spots, things that we don't see in our world, but someone who cares for us might see better than we can. Let's take a look at Hebrews 12 from verse 10 to 11. 
It says, For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in His holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Don't confuse judgment with challenge. It is good for us to be challenged. It is good for us to be corrected. On occasion, we all need a good rebuking. But the overflow question goes, okay, sure, I guess that makes sense. The scripture's pretty clear, but who is it that gets to correct? Who is it that gets to rebuke? Do we just listen to everyone around us? I've got a few thoughts for us tonight that I, I pray has be, will be as helpful for you listening as it was for me preparing a few different ways that we could be corrected. And the first group is this, it's simply our friends. Now, I know as I scan the room, there's lots of young adults and some older young adults, um, and this, this might be challenging, and I, I hope that it is. Let's read James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. And Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Now that sounds really nice. When I read that, that's like, a, I rub your back, you rub mine, we'll encourage one another, it'll be mean. But that's actually not quite what it means. In fact, many scholars believe that 27 verse 17 is just a, a reiteration or a rewording of a statement found just a few verses earlier in verse 6, where it says, Wounds from a sincere friend are better than kisses, many kisses from an enemy. In other words, truth from a trusted friend is better than support and encouragement to YOLO and live your best life from someone that doesn't actually care about you. Young people, stop going to people that just tell you what you want to hear. It's not helpful for you. Friends are meant to sharpen one another. And as believers, we have to be open to being graciously and lovingly corrected by our friends. See, so often we say, ah, I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to judge, which is cool because you can't judge anyway. Like, that's God's job. You literally have no authority to make a judgment. We can't do that. But as believers, we have been commissioned to bring the best out of people, to speak life, to correct, and to help guide each other. See, iron sharpening iron kind of is this picture of bits of iron being chipped away and things being remolded so that after that, you're left sharper and more effective. Now, what I'm not saying is, don't get me wrong, let's not all jump out there and start correcting the heck out of each other, like left, right, and center, bang, bang, bang. That's not what I'm saying. But maybe we could start at the other end of that picture and say maybe we could be a people that are more open and receptive to receiving it. That if a friend that we care about, that we know cares about us, would be willing to rise up and have a hard conversation, that we would be open to that rather than defensive and dismissive. You know, when a friend says, hey, that's probably enough beers for tonight, or I think you probably could have responded differently in that argument, or I, I know revenge feels good, but you're better than that. Could we be a people, could we be a church that don't get all defensive, like, don't judge me, only God can judge, or do we just go, hey, I'm not, not sure if I see eye to eye, but let me just pause and take that on board. Let me be humble enough to believe maybe there's a growth moment to be had here. I love this quote, quote, when proven wrong, the wise man will correct himself and the ignorant will keep arguing. It is godly and biblical to be corrected by our friends. Now, if you're familiar with going to the gym, which I most certainly am not, uh, but you may know this phrase, even if you're not in the gym, I don't know, this phrase that friends don't let friends skip leg day. Now, it's especially a problem among guys, because guys, they just want to do their chest and their arms, like all day, every day, because the legs get no glory. Not many people are like, nice legs, right? 
And so what happens is guys tend to gravitate towards doing their upper chest and their arms more so, but then they look disproportionate and silly. Right, So it's important to work out the whole body. And a friend with a gym-going friend would not let a friend go down that path and look silly out in public. So he reminds his friend, don't skip leg day, bro. It's important to do it all. Now, the same could be said. We don't let our friends go down unhealthy paths without saying something. That's what a friend does. I've got a little boy. He's eight months old. As Beck said, his name is Boston. That dude is chunky. Um, but I love him so much. There's just extra to cuddle. Um, I say I hope he never loses it, but it, it would, I don't know. It'd be unhealthy if he didn't. <laughs> like some of the other babies are, you know, crawling faster than he can. And <laughs> anyway, little Boston has started crawling. Um, that's a riot and a half. And like, he's pretty good. I've been like timing him. He's like medium pace. He's not bad. But I noticed that, because in our house, we've got like a plug-in heater to heat up the lounge, right? Now, part of the way we've decided to parent is we're not just going to remove absolutely everything that's dangerous, but we want to teach him that there are things in the room that you can't touch. So we're trying to teach him that. And so it's funny because he's like medium pace, but I've never seen that monkey crawl so fast. Then when he realizes we've turned our back or left the room for five seconds, I'm like literally five seconds, I look back and he's like beelining straight for the heater. I don't know where he learns that. It must be his mother, Darcy. She's way cheekier. Anyway, so he beelines for the heater, and obviously we're, we're mindful and we keep an eye, and we, we come in and we gently stop him and we explain to him, buddy, you can't touch that, it's gonna hurt you. Now a bad parent or friend would say, I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to judge, I just let him do his thing, right? Like, who am I to stop a brother doing that? And I know it's different from a parent to a child than it is from a friend to a friend, but I think the concept still applies. He needs correction, otherwise he's going to go through pain and suffering. He can't communicate it yet, but I assure you he is thankful for the correction. If I just let him get burnt, knowing that he would, that's not love. That's not care. That's not what a friend or a parent would do. We have to be open to being corrected by our friends. Second place that we could be corrected is the Word. And when I say the Word, I mean the Bible, God's Word that we read, right? Um, paper or lit up version, whatever your preference. When was the last time you read God's Word and you read something challenging? Because I find every single time I read God's Word, I read something challenging. I read things that bring me peace. I read things that bring me hope. I read things that uplift me. That's amazing. But then I also read things that rebuke and challenge the heck out of me. Let's have a look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. This is a famous scripture often brought out about the value of God's Word. It says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. <laughs> it's like, oh, I... I thought I was just meant to feel good vibes, get wisdom and be inspired. Nope, it, can, it continues. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. See, God's word is meant to challenge us because it's alive and it knows what we need to hear. It's like the first targeted Google ads. It's like customized communication just for your life because it knows what you need to hear in any given season. It is the only book that's reading you while you're reading it. But what is your response when you come across a difficult passage in the Bible? You're reading and you're like, oh no, that's, that's old, that, yeah, old Testament. That must, no, it's not relevant for today. That one's, that one's for Zach Harris, can't be for me. I, I don't know, like... <laughs> I don't know, do we just dismiss it? Or do we get uncomfortable when we go, oh, and we just flip, that's it, abort mission, back to the Psalms. Like, back to where I feel good in these streams and rivers and, and meadows and the whole deal. Look, I know it's hard. I read the Word of God and I'm like, oh, wish I didn't come across that today. 
but I'm so glad, glad and grateful that I did. If it's a challenge from God, you can be sure as difficult as it is, it's a challenge coming out of love. He wants us to grow and learn. In fact, he wants us to be holy as he is holy. I mean, you might read something like this, Ephesians chapter five, verse three to four. It's in your Bible like it's in mine. It says, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. That's not cryptic. That's not poetic. There's no hidden messages. We're not looking for numbers. It is what it is. Corrected. Challenged. Rebuked. And what do we do in that moment? Can I encourage you? Let's just examine our heart. It's okay just to sit still. It's okay to feel a little uncomfortable and say, what does that mean for me? Are we defensive? Are we dismissive? Or could we go back and get that same joyful and grateful spirit where we would welcome the truth no matter how difficult? See, God's Word, both when we read it in our Bible and when we hear it preached, is meant to challenge us. That's the whole point of it. And when you feel dismissive and maybe defensive, can I encourage you, that's okay that you're there. Like, we're all on a journey, and I remember being very much like that. When I first got saved, I was like, I'm all in except that thing. That, no, God's got that one wrong. And I was defensive, and every time I heard that, I'm like, clearly they're not in 2009. <laughs> like, that feeling got saved ages ago. Um, Felt like it was outdated, didn't make sense, and I got defensive. It's okay, just, just rest there. My encouragement to you is just rest there and experience that. Don't avoid that feeling at all costs. When you come across difficult challenges, don't just flick past, don't just look away. You feel that nudge, don't just ignore it. Just sit there and experience it, and then dwell and think about what it is that God is saying to you. We need God's Word to build us up, but we also need to be shaped, remolded, and refined through correction. Cool? So our friends, God's Word, and thirdly, the Holy Spirit. God is incredibly patient with us as we grow and mature to be more Christ-like. God isn't just a superpower in the heavenly realms, but He's a close God that exists within us as the Holy Spirit. Now, we often in church, in church environments, we use this word sensing. It's kind of hard to put like an English word to, to spiritual things, but we use the word sensing, which essentially just means I'm aware of the way that God is prompting and nudging and convicting. And the way that He's nudging and leading you is going to be very different from the way that He's nudging and leading the person next to you in any given season. God is alive and working within you. And there are occasions, if you stop and listen, that you'll discern and sense that God is correcting you. Now, He's gentle, but He's always very clear. In fact, He's clearer than we give Him credit for sometimes. It's just little nudges, things like, hey, you know you shouldn't be hanging out with those people. Hey, you know that attitude towards your spouse needs to stop, like yesterday. <laughs> when we first experience God's saving grace, if you have yet, if you haven't, I'm going to pray a prayer with you in a few moments, and it could change your life and your eternity forever. But if you've prayed that prayer, if you've meant that, if you began a journey with Jesus, you know what it's like. It's like, it's, I say butterflies, but that just sounds like a love relationship, and it's weird, but it's not like that. It's like a genuine urging and an excitement. You want to hear God's voice, but part of hearing God's voice is hearing His loving correction as well. It's responding humbly to redirection, and it's trusting that His ways are above our ways. In fact, Romans 8.14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God, are children of God. The Bible's clear that part of our maturing process is to lean into godly correction from our trusted friends, from God's Word, and from the Holy Spirit. And Paul says to the Galatians, he's like, have I now just become your enemy just because I'm sharing with you the truth? He's identifying that these believers who started out with a joyful and grateful spirit have now become defensive and dismissive and carry a bad attitude towards correction. They no longer invite his preaching, like the preacher that didn't get invited back. <laughs> Nice knowing you. <laughs> our attitude determines our altitude. That's so cheesy, didn't want to say it, but felt like it, it helped us here. 
our attitude truly does determine our altitude. The way we approach things really matter. And just in the final moments that we've got left, I just want to go through two uh, attitudes or perspectives that I think are really going to help us in our response to being corrected. Is that okay? The first one, both of these are for everyone. The first one is this. Number one, I need to grow. Everyone say, I need to grow. Praise God that you are not where you once were, right? And for some people in this room, praise God triple times. But also, the fact is we're not yet where we could be. For every single one of us, there is a next step and a place of growth for us. Maybe it's your compassion towards others, your ability to share your God story, the management of your anger, the communication of your passions. Maybe it's the understanding of other worldviews or your ability to hear God's voice. Maybe it's the understanding of His Word or the, the, um, sorry, the mastering of your craft or your skill set to bring glory to God. But the greatest disqualifier to your future is this unhealthy and ridiculous notion that we have already arrived, that we're already there, that we set up camp and like there's no more steps to take, there's no more growth for somebody like me. Man, I've heard it before. I've heard more sermons and you've had hot dinners. That might be true. I don't have many hot dinners. <laughs> I've been leading this team for 20 years. I was here when the church was planted. I've been on 10 mission trips. I'm financially successful. <laughs> That's cool. In fact, all of that stuff is really cool. But have you asked what's next? Like you've heard that many sermons, but do you still carry unforgiveness in your heart towards someone who hurt you? there's room for you to grow. You know, maybe you've led the team for 20 years. Could you raise someone else up to lead the team? Because if you're a great leader, you could raise and release other great leaders. You're financially successful, but are you generous? You've got three kids. That's amazing. Praise God. But are you present in their life? Have you taught them life's most valuable lessons? And here's the thing. Growing's fun as well. Like it actually is. We don't need to look at growing, oh, growing pains. Like it's always such a journey. Like Growing is fun. It's fun to discover what you're capable of. It's fun to see what God could use you for that's beyond what you thought. It's fun to overcome the barriers that once held you back. When I think of this, I think of this guy in our church in Papakura. His name is Wade Rowe, and he is phenomenal. This guy has been doing ministry for like decades. He's led teams, and he's had a massive impact on people's lives. Well, Wade is 66. And over the last 18 months, he stepped up to this challenge of mentoring a handful of young adult guys in our church. He meets up with them, he speaks life over them, he teaches them, and he corrects them. And the greatest testimony coming out of this are the wives of those young men that have formed the Wade Rowe fan club. Like, they love him. I hear more from them than from anyone else. They haven't labeled themselves that. I have labeled them that. They love how much their husbands have grown. But here's the key. Despite all that Wade has done, he said the other day that this season of ministry was the one that's left him feeling most fulfilled. I love that, that at 66, after decades of ministering to others, he is in his greatest season yet. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, how short, how tall, how wide, it doesn't matter what you look like, where you came from or what you've done, there is a next step in front of you. This dude's 66, you wouldn't believe it, but he's having a massive impact on a handful of young dudes in our church, and we're meeting on Wednesday morning to plan how we can get other dudes mentoring other dudes to like replicate this. This is phenomenal at 66. When you believe, man, I've never arrived, I've got breath in my lungs, I'm ready to go, there's something to learn, and there's another step in front of me, when you have that attitude, oh man, what God could do with your life. It becomes easy to receive correction. Maybe today you need to sign up to the Alpha course so you can build a strong foundation in your faith. Maybe there's people in the room, you need to sign up to the marriage course so you could bring some strength to the greatest human relationship that God has given you. Maybe for some of you, it's time to stop thinking about it and listen to the nudge and step up to lead a small group next term. Number two, and our final one, um, I can learn from everyone. 
Yeah, I need to grow and I can learn from everyone. Now, something I hear all the time is that uh, we should be careful with who we surround ourselves with because that has a great influence on what our future looks like. That's true. I believe that. And at the same time, I think it needs to be said that I don't think it's healthy that we hone in our focus so narrow on who it is that we can learn from. That doesn't mean that we're inspired by and we look up to when we imitate every person around us. That's not a good idea but that we could learn a lesson from every single person. Paul appeals to the Galatians, and he's like, man, am I just an enemy because I'm sharing the truth? Don't mix the message and the messenger. You know the old saying, don't shoot the messenger? It's like, it's not the messenger's fault when a bad message gets delivered. He's just doing his job. Well, the opposite could be said to be true as well. Just because the messenger is bad or unexpected doesn't mean the lesson isn't valuable. Caught up for coffee uh, this last week with another guy uh, in our dream team. His name's Ron, and uh, he was telling me this amazing story. He's a senior bank manager, works in finance every day of his life. And he was having a conversation with his nine-year-old daughter about making wise financial decisions, right? Like, he's, he's starting early. I like that. I appreciate the hustle. And he was having a chat with little Nikisha, and he was explaining to her a mistake that he had made, which cost him a whole lot of money and, and then the whole deal, and how he wished it had have, like, unfolded differently. And, and had it unfolded differently, they would have been way better off financially. And little Nikisha, nine years old, she just looks up so peacefully and says, yeah, but God will always care for you, right? And he was like, oh, yeah. Obviously, I knew that. I was just testing, you know, like. <laughs> She's nine. And he could have been like, what do you know? You're nine. But he was humble enough to say, actually, you may be nine, but that's true. An amazing reminder from a young lady. There are lessons to be learned from everyone around us. The young, the old, the smart, and the still developing. The danger is that we immediately dismiss everything that someone said because we dismiss them as a messenger. If she was right, she was right, and she was. And it was a valuable lesson and correction to be received. And if you truly want to learn and grow, then stop closing your eyes and turning away thinking you're too above, you're too experienced, you're too qualified to learn lessons from everybody around us. Josh, you can join me on keys. That'd be awesome. You know, part of my upbringing, and we're finishing just two minutes, Part of my upbringing was that I was raised in a pretty abusive and chaotic and unhealthy family environment with one parent. But if I'm to be honest, I learned so much from my mom. I learned so many valuable lessons on what not to do. I learned that words can easily come out and cause harm, but they can never be taken back in. I learned that our home environment has a massive impact on young people. And if young people don't feel at peace and welcome in their home, then things like study and relationships suffer. I learned that being a fully grown adult didn't automatically mean being mature. And that adults can suffer and wrestle with the challenges of their childhood for decades if they don't address it properly. Some of the most valuable lessons that I've learned. Don't let a good message be tarnished by a bad messenger. Life's got so many lessons for us. Let's approach it with a humble heart, willing to learn great lessons from both our good experiences and our bad. You know, at the heart of correction is simply just a stronger, healthier, more God-honoring you. When we're open to correction, we're open to a better tomorrow. And I absolutely love the fact that God takes on the image of our heavenly Father. And I know not everyone in this room has a good relationship with their earthly Father, but I'd like to think that for pretty much all of us, we at least have an idea on what a good father should look like. That's our father in heaven. And he is filled with so much joy when he sees any one of us take a step or make a decision to grow and to step into all that he has for us. He has created us with so much potential and all he wants to see is us step into it. 
being people that are humble and open to correction, teaching and rebuke, allows us to be overcomers. It allows us to be refined and reshaped so that our lives could count for something far beyond what we can see with our eyes today. It's my prayer. It's my hope that hearing God's word today just opens our heart. It softens our heart a little and says, God, search me, find me, that we would be open to being corrected by our friends, by the word, and by the Holy Spirit. Come on, why don't we close our eyes? I just want to pray for you as we finish up. Father God, I thank you for the truth of your word. It is truth in every season. Even though it can be hard, it is always good, and it always achieves the purpose for which it was sent out. I thank you, God, that like a loving father who brings correction to their children, it's because you see greatness within each of us. And I pray that no longer would we be defensive, no longer would we be dismissive, but we would be open to receive correction from our friends, from your word, and from the Holy Spirit. We'd no longer push those promptings aside, but we would listen into them. We would go to someone we trust to check, and we would take action. Thank you, God, that you're good to us. I pray, God, that we would be a humble people going forward in Jesus' name. I'm going to pray one final prayer. Just ask that every person in this place continue to keep their eyes closed. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're hearing about this God that's like a father. I don't know what your earthly father is like, but our heavenly father is unlimitedly gracious. He meets you where you are, and he invites you into a relationship with him. And I want to pray a prayer in just a moment that would not only change your life, but it would change your eternity. And listen, if you've already prayed this prayer, and you're not quite sure where you sit, you're kind of like, I think I'm in, I think I'm out, I'm not sure where I stand, then just pray this prayer. You don't have to meet the criteria. Just pray a prayer to God and invite him back into your life. This is for anyone recommitting or wanting to get Jesus into their life to transform them and give them the promise of eternity in heaven. I'm gonna pray this prayer and you need to pray this prayer because God's promise for us is that if we would pray this prayer and mean it, that the old would be gone and the new would come and you'd be a brand new creation. I'll pray this out loud. You pray this in your heart. Say, dear God, I acknowledge that I've sinned. Chosen my own way above your way. I've thought, that the path in front of me was filled with life, I'm hearing now that it leads to death. But Jesus, I believe you went to that cross for me. You were a substitute. You took my place. You took on a punishment that my sin deserves so that today, because of what you did, I could walk free with a clean slate and a brand new future. And so I turn from my old life. I ask you to come into my life and forgive me of my sin, and I thank you that you do. I pray, God, that you give me a vision for my life ahead. I declare this day that you are my God and I am your child. I commit my whole life to you, holding nothing back. With every eye closed and head bowed, if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to get you to do something nice and brave in just a moment. I won't embarrass you, but I want you to lift your hand. This is significant because Jesus says, if you acknowledge me before man, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. And it's kind of like your first step of faith on this brand new journey. If you prayed that prayer and you meant that God loves you, He's for you, He's on your side, I want you to lift your hand nice and high in three two, one, go now. Awesome, I see you here, on my left here, and on my right, amazing, bunch of hands going up. Is there anyone else? You prayed that prayer, you meant it. If you put your hand up, you can put it straight back down now. Is there anyone else? You know you need to get your life right with God. You prayed that prayer today. You want a brand new journey with Him. Final moments. Amazing church, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna celebrate. God, I thank you for brand new life today. I thank you for hearts turned towards you. I thank you that your grace is sufficient and enough for us and you meet them in this place. Today we celebrate brand new life in Jesus' name, amen. Come on church, let's celebrate those that prayed that prayer tonight. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. 
please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.